Talking Point with Sarah Carey on News Talk 106 to 108. Patrick Sutton is the director of the Gaty School of Acting and the Smock Alley Theatre in Dublin's Temple Bar. He grew up beside the Leopardstown Racecourse in Dublin where he lived with his father Frank, mother Ray and siblings Deborah, Catherine and Lucy. Patrick pursued his love of the theatre after school when he studied in the Dartington College of Arts in England. He was recently involved in the reincarnation of the Smock Alley Theatre which had its original run from 1662 until 1787 and was reopened two years ago this month after an archaeological excavation making it both the oldest and the youngest theatre in Ireland. Patrick's wife is Mo and they have two children, Sam and Rebecca. And these are Patrick Sutton's musical heirlooms. Well, did you ever? Well, did you ever? Well, did you ever? Well, did you ever? Well, did you ever wake up with them? son Sam I said to him the other day that I was doing this program and uh, the song I thought I wanted to hand over was uh, a song uh, called Jersey Girl by by Tom Waits and he said why would you do that that song you've never passed that song he said that's your favorite song but that's not the Passover song. And I'm saying, well, well, what is the Passover song? He said, Rory Gallagher, Bullfrog Blues. Of course. And I'm going, well, yes, of course. And it's a, it's a great song. Rory Gallagher was long, has long, long been a hero of mine. And it's got the greatest start to a song and it's got the greatest rhythm to it. And uh, if you're ever feeling slightly um, low or slightly out of energy or slightly slack, then Bullfrog Blues will kick you in the ass and get you going again. It's great. spent most of my childhood away. My, my father, um, f- for his sins, sent me to boarding school at the age of eight, which is a, a shocking thing to do uh, to anybody. I've long been trying to figure it out, and he's dead to over 20 years now, but I, I've long tried to figure out why he would do that and why my mother was complicit in it. I think she was complicit because he was a bit of a he was a bit of a mouth of a man and he had very high opinions of himself and he was, um, I don't know, I think he may have thought that being an only son, this would make a man of me, this would toughen me up, this would give me a bit of esprit de corps, a bit of backbone. But in fact, it did the opposite. I, I, I went on from there down to Glenstall in Limerick, which is um, which is pretty smart school. Um, it wished it was a better rugby school and I loathed rugby in those days. Um, I was a big guy and I was a second row, so I spent an awful lot of my secondary school pretty much with my head shoved between other gentlemen's legs or... It was just a... I loathed it. And and the one time and the one and only time that I actually um, scored a try, my parents were there and, of course, I turned around with a degree of pride that I'd actually proven myself on the rugby pitch um, to discover my, my mother and my father were absolutely and utterly looking, looking the other direction. So that was, that, was, that was a bit of a 
that was, that was a low point in my rugby, uh, rugby playing career. Never picked up a rugby ball since, although I do love to watch a decent um, rugby match now, really do. So then, after secondary school, I was encouraged by the current uh, um, abbot of Glenstall, Father Mark Patrick Hederman. I was encouraged by him, and pretty much him alone, to express myself and go to drama school. So I found myself in um, probably the most liberal uh, drama, art, visual arts, um, music school in England. I mean, the things I saw uh, on my first week there, I, I, I could not repeat on air. I was shocked and surprised and embarrassed and excited and traumatised. I, I, I've never known a baptism of fire quite like that. Would you say that anything to do to your success has to do with the Gaiety School of Acting, your training there? I'd say much of my success has to do with the Gaiety. I learned so much there. Patrick Sutton, the director, was just instrumental in my training. And I, I will never People often ask in this country and America um, about Olivia Wilde, who, who just did a summer programme with us. But um, there's a kind of a light shining from Olivia Wilde from the moment that we met her. And that was clear. And she's a great supporter of ours, particularly uh, in, in America. I suppose the other one was, uh, was Colin Farrell, who, who knocked on the door and walked in to audition. And he was affable. He was charming. He was remarkably friendly. He had a glint in his eye, uh, which went on to become a glint in both eyes, which went on to become whatever it went on to become. But, I mean, the response the other day in Smock Alley Theatre, when our guys presented themselves to all the agents, all the casting directors, was, was one of the great days of the year because it's like, it's looking at young talent, it's looking at raw talent expressing itself. Just a great opportunity to see those young people with life behind their eyes and fire in their bellies, ready to take their place, you know, and that's part of the job. Yeah, um... My mum, from, from way back, way back, um, used to sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow to me, and I loathed it. And every time she, um, apparently I was so young when she started singing it, I would scurry under tables and behind sofas and into other rooms when she sang it. And as I got older, it would become a kind of a, a joke between us, the level with which I loathed this. So when, when, um, when, when uh, the powers that be decided that uh, she was going to get esophageal cancer on, on uh, one day and that six months later she'd be dead, one of the conversations, my mum my, my said to one of my sisters, you know, I would love to have that song played at my at the funeral and we kind of fine-tuned it again and we said no 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 let's let's play that at the very moment that we are pushing the coffin behind the curtain in the crematorium let's just play somewhere over the rainbow at that point and we did and the moment that she died the moment that she went from being alive 86 years alive to being a, a, a corpse and the light went out and the lights went out and suddenly you're you know our, everyone's lives were just completely changed but actually being in the room holding the hands of my three sisters who were holding my mother's hands and the final breath happens and it's over I mean, good God, I howled at one point after my dad died. And I didn't get on very well with my dad. Howled like a wild animal, like cowering in a corner for hours. And I could not figure out or fathom the depth of that cry, you know. And, and my mother, who I loved considerably more than I loved my dad, 
I never found the same uh, howl of pain, of anguish as I did. And maybe it was because we'd managed to pack it all away. We'd managed to um, not, 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 not put it away, but, but to, we'd managed to negotiate our way to the end with her and spoke about it. I mean, I was working in America in the maybe the two weeks before, the week before she died. And she, there's no doubt about it, she waited until... I'd come back. She ran her hair. She ran her fingers through my hair and uh, stroked me on the cheek. And and um, and if she if she was if she was going to say anything, it would have been, "I'm now ready to go. So let's gather round and and let's you know let's set the ship, let's let let's get into the boat and go down the kind of the grief river." And that's that that was it. You know. You see, I I can't. I really. This is the first time <clears throat> I've listened to that song for seven years. I've tried. I was driving in America, and I bought the CD, and I was driving seven, ten hours. And I I said, I'm going to play this. I'm going to find the courage to play this without falling to pieces. I've heard it on the radio, and I've had to turn the radio off. I've heard heard it in stores, and I've had to walk. So it's it's a song that um, I I spent my whole life loathing. And now, after we played it at the funeral, I've, I find myself wanting to play it, but unable to play it because I get it chokes me up. That said, today is a kind of today is a kind of a watershed day because when 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 I was asked to talk about that song, I was going to drop the ball and pick something else, and then I said, no, no, bite the bullet, go on, why don't you? So that's that's the song that I inherited from my mother. And listening to it today is, um, it's difficult, but goodness me, we have to get over things. Okay, this one's for Gabby.
thank you so much to Patrick Sutton for biting the bullet on that one. We loved hearing his story. The piece you heard at the beginning was Bullfrog Blues by Rory Gallagher. Now, a couple of texts. Rent levels are a function of supply and demand. The owner or source of capital has nothing to do with it. The two female audience members on the Late Late last night that can't afford the rents are there because there are two people out there that can. And thanks very much to Colin Murta who sent a lovely tweet as well. Now, it's a beautiful day and the canvassers will be out in force this weekend. If you're confused about who to vote for in the European elections, we have an app for that. EU and I ask you some questions about your policies and then calculates which party you should vote for. Try it out on the News Talk website. Go to News and Politics and you'll find it. It's great fun watching your party prejudices confounded by answers on the actual policies. That's it for today. Thanks to Eva Breen, Alan Regan, Jane Fallon Griffin and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this Newstalk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.